We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the RoadWire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, James Anderson. And my guest this week is Andrew Geller, who you might know as The Guilds from Twitter. And Andrew is a overall champion. Um, he's currently in the mix for some other overall titles, uh, seasons early, but I wanted to have Andrew on to, to kind of discuss what it's like trying to go for the overall prize in these NFBC contests. Uh, Andrew, thanks for joining me. How are you doing? Hey, doing well, James. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, uh, it was fun meeting you in Vegas uh, this past spring and uh, drafting against you. And um, I wanted to just kind of start with sort of what what's your background playing in high stakes fantasy baseball leagues and like when did you start? What got you into it? Yeah, so uh, I used to do like the, the points leagues with buddies of mine. I think we were playing on CBS at the time and – you know, we did those leagues for years, and I was always the guy that was, like, picking up free agents. We had, like, the free ad drop, so I was always the guy picking up the guys before everybody else. Um, people got tired of playing with me for the most part, but um, then I saw the NFBC kind of on Twitter, I think, one time. I'm like, what is what is NFBC? I never even heard of it. Um, so I remember going to the site and just, you know, reading about it and Roto. I never played Roto before that first year. Um, so I was just clueless on how it all worked. I'm like, wait, it's a running total of stats. Am I want to know after week one, if my stats are better than my teammate, I was just lost. Um, so it was all new to me and I kind of just got hooked like immediately. And that was uh, 2014. And ever since then, it's just been all about the Roto fantasy world. So, do you do you play other sports or do you just do baseball? Uh, I do football also. Um, did pretty well. I played the NFFC, FFPC. I think I finished fourth or fifth overall one year in the in the RotoWire OC on the football side too. So um, yeah, I'm I'm in both. Uh, pretty hardcore. So uh, I'm just starting to get back into the football uh, mindset a little bit now. Doing a couple drafts. Have one later tonight actually, but. Uh, it's been, this is actually a late start. I'm usually drafting football by May, mid-May or so. So um, I've just been consumed by baseball this whole time, and it's kind of a, 
I put football like on the back burner for a little bit, but I'm about to go uh, balls to the ball there as well. So, well, good luck with your football prep and your your football draft tonight. Thank you. Uh, what so what what are your best uh, overall finishes to date? We we'll keep this one to baseball. Yeah, so baseball. People think that 2020 season that's when uh, I came in second overall, but I actually 2017. I, I cashed in the overall. I had two caches, I believe, in the overall. I led that overall that season. I had like five OCs. I think I finished first or second in four of them. Um, then 2018 was kind of a, a down year. And then 2019, I think I won a little bit. But then 2020 was was the start of the Guilds era in the NFBC. So uh, that was the COVID year. And I, was, I remember being pretty down on, on baseball. I said... I can't not draft a team. So I threw one bullet into the OC. It was very late, maybe she's week before the season started even. Uh, and ended up uh, getting second overall with that one bullet. So um, that was a nice season. And then in 2021, uh, I backed that up with a fourth overall finish in the OC and a ninth overall in the main event that year. And then last year I took it down first overall in the OC. So, as three straight top five finishes in that contest, which I'm pretty sure is the biggest fantasy contest out there now, right? At least fab wise, I'm not counting the draft champions, but it's pretty that's, crazy. That sounds right. Yeah, that's that's yeah. impressive. Yeah, and I, I always say that I do it kind of on a you know minimal amount of teams. I'm not entering 20, 30 teams every year. You know, I do four, five, six is usually my max. Um, so to have that success, you know, with a limited number of bullets is, is pretty impressive. I think. Do you prefer the twelves or have you just had more success in the twelves? Uh, well, I didn't start the main, I feel like till like 2018, I believe was my first year. And I only had one team and you know, I did a couple of years with just one team. Didn't have much success um, until the 2021 year. Uh, 12s, I don't know, just have a nice feel for that format. I know, uh, you know, you have a lot more leeway than you do in the 15s. And, you know, losing one player is not going to crush you, really. You know, there's ways to make up gaps where you really can't in a 15-team uh, main event. Uh, I do love the main, though. I, I think it's by far the most challenging contest there is right now. So I love it. It's just uh, it's just two different animals. And it's just kind of catering to, to both formats. So when you're, you know, you're very competitive in the uh, overall contests, uh, is that something you're gunning for on draft day? Like, how different would your teams be, I guess, if you, you know, or how much do you even factor in winning your league versus competing in the overall when, when you're drafted? I mean, I factor it. I, you know, I'd be lying if I didn't if I said the overall wasn't always top of mind when I'm drafting these teams. You know, I'm always I'm always looking for those guys in the middle rounds, even late rounds that have a chance to pop and you know, you know, hit that, you know, that that jackpot late in drafts and and even closers. I know I've talked about this ad nauseum, but um, in these overall contests, I don't like to invest heavily in closers that early, um, especially in the twelves. Um, I just feel, you know, from like a game theory perspective, like 
if you're battling against 2000 other teams, you know, you have to come, you know, you have to come away with some sort of edge. Right. So my mindset is, all right, listen, I'm going to try to hit on closers. Right. I don't want to invest early capital in closers. I'll take the bats early. And then if I hit on those closers, you know, I'm in pretty good shape, you know, with the way I feel like I, I can draft and, um, you know, my, my in-season managing. So, um, yeah, I mean, if you don't hit on them, you're, you're probably screwed. But I feel like in the 12s, there's, you know, there's also room to, to improve in the saves department a lot more so than 15s where, you know, you see leagues right now where guys have six, seven saves in your leagues and, there's just no one out there to get. So, um, yeah, I've always been a proponent of waiting on closers. You know, I'll take one of the top guys, right? Like the top eight or so. I'll take one of them in the top seven, eight rounds. But after that, I'm just completely fading them until late mid teens and just take three, four of the guys. Hope you hit on two. You know, if not, you hit on one late and then you kind of work around that. But I was never the first round hater. Second round class A guys, at least in the OC, I wasn't. Yeah, that's that's interesting. The the difference between uh, the fifteen versus the twelve, um, and you might even like in some in some twelves, there might even be a guy out there in your league who is like a part time closer, and they're just sitting out there, and you can oh, get back. them for. Yeah, yeah. I was just talking about how in the in the twelves. Okay. There's, there's part-time closers just sitting there on the waiver wire sometimes. Yeah, and I always say that too. Like, people say you can't fab saves or whatever. I mean, you can, right? It's just not something people like doing, right? But yeah, you see in these OCs, you know, teams start falling out in July, even earlier. You know, you get a, you might get a, a closer for two, three dollars, right? When you know half the league's paying attention. So, I mean, that's kind of what I did, too, when I won it all last year. I had Romano, who was my, really my one main closer. Um, and I kind of just dabbled here and there, got enough, you know, 30 saves from just rotating guys in and out. And, you know, you got enough, you know, at the end. But um, that's just the way I see it. And so far, it's worked. I mean, that's kind of the strategy I've employed every year since I've been in this. So, so I know you got a you – top 10 team in the main event overall right now uh are there how many fab leagues did you do this year total and how many of them do you think you've, you're in with a, a fighting shot for for an overall prize so i did actually did seven ocs but i think is the most i've done um and i did three mains uh and i did the ultimate i split the ultimate with bob big bob Kramatola. Uh, so that's 11 fab leagues. Um, doing pretty well in most of them right now. I'm, I'm first in two of the three mains. I think I'm first in two or three OCs. I don't have an OC. like I have like one below third place, I think. So, I mean, it's looking like another big year. But contender-wise, I think I have the OC sitting around 15 right now, I think, the last I checked. That main, I feel like, has a chance around 10. I, I got the bats. I judge hurts right now, but that team is huge in power. So I feel like I'll be able to kind of tread water till he's back. Um, it's got great pitching, I think. Balanced offense. A couple good closers. I got a class A there, actually. I got uh, Alex Lang, who's been pretty good, albeit the last couple of hiccups. But 
uh, it's looking good. Knock on wood. Uh, just kind of keep treading water. You know, any day that you don't go down in a main is a nice day, whether it's a couple points. Whereas the OC, you could drop, you know, six, 700 points in, in a night and it's just completely different animal. How much do you check standings uh, this time of year? I mean, I like I know whenever I've got a team that's doing really well, I'm just watching it all the time. Uh, but for you, I mean, you've been you've had a lot of teams do really well. Uh, does it get like kind of boring or, or are you still just kind of glued to it when you've got a really good team? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty glued to it, uh, especially on, yeah, on the contenders. You know, every start, you kind of checking in and seeing if you have a starter going. Like the one OC I have, I'm really down in home runs, uh, where every homer now is, I don't know, 130, 140 points. So, I mean, you hit a few of those in a day, all of a sudden you're up three, 400 points. But, I mean, really, until uh, – I don't really take them too seriously, probably for like another month ish or so you know when the ratios start to solidify and stabilize i think it's you know mid-july ish is really if you're up there in, in the overall and you have the goods and you see that your team you know it's not just um you know you could tell if you if you have the the guys if you have the, the ammo uh, if you will but uh, if you're healthy and you're up there and you know what you're doing around mid-july ish there's a good chance you're going to stay there the rest of this you know you'll fluctuate up and down a little bit, but um, from the teams I've had that, that have done well, if I'm up there in mid late July, I usually stay up there. So you mentioned the the main event team that's in the top ten being really solid for power. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that kind of a theme? Like, I mean, are, are there certain categories that a classic guilds team is going to be very proficient in and like other areas where you're generally going to be more like mid pack or is every team just a different animal? Uh, I would say, you know, power to speed. I go, always go early. I, I don't like taking power early on unless it's like prodigious Pete Alonzo, Aaron judge, something like that where it could hit you 50 homers. Right. Um, so like for instance, Devers and Riley, I was off of this year not because I don't like them, you know, they're great players, but I just didn't see that, I don't know, um, massive, massive power upside, right? They'll hit you 30, maybe 35. They don't offer much speed at all. So, you know, I was always waiting for like the Alex Bregman types, you know, you know, 60 picks later, 40, whatever, 50 picks later. Um, I just didn't see the value there in the second round, but yeah, for the most part, I'm not taking a guy if he's giving me no speed unless he offers just crazy power where, you know, that one guy can lead you in the, in the power department. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's that's really it. Speed power early for bats. If I'm going pitching, obviously I want, you know, the high Ks early if I can. And that's really how I build my teams and just try to find value in the middle rounds and, you know, try to bob and weave in, in that draft room and, um that's it. You just got to adjust to, I feel like, you know, sometimes owners in these leagues, you know, with that one minute clock, you know, it kind of frazzles them a little bit in draft and maybe they take a guy that they didn't want to take, or they reach for a guy that they shouldn't. And, you know, you just got to be comfortable in that draft room. And I feel like at this point, I feel pretty comfortable there. Do you think there's anything you're doing that other drafters 
or maybe even just in-season managers aren't doing that helps with contending for overalls? Like, I know that there's, um, you know, I, I'll, I'll just let you answer that question. Yeah, I think uh, outside of just drafting, I feel like team construction is probably my strong suit is, you know, I just have a feel for, for building teams. I feel like a lot of people are, are smart in the game, but, you know, when it comes down to building an actual team, they're, you know, they have issues doing that. And um, I feel like constructing that's definitely my strong suit. And uh, at least in the OCs too, you know, I'm churning and burning my rosters like crazy. Like on that team that's in top uh, 10 or whatever overall, I dropped like six guys on this previous wire just because, you know, I'm trying to, to get those at-bats and just trying to manipulate whatever I can every single week. Um, I don't, you know, get tied to guys too often. And whereas a main in the main, you can't do that, right? You got a guy playing regular, you know, every day at bats. He's somewhat productive. It's a guy you kind of got to hold on to. In the OC, I mean, I'm dumping guys like every week. You know, I'm just recycling guys. So uh, I would say don't get too tied to any players on your team, especially you know if they're not elite, you know, top flight uh, producers. You know, always look to improve in every category. I'm always looking. You know, not only at the standings, but where in those standings I can, you know, gain weekly, right? So, like, I, I was short in power in the OC. I picked up, like, four power bats this week and just threw them in there and just kind of, you know, any deficiency you see in those categories, just attack them every week. Keep attacking them. That last uh, – the last OC last year, I was – in June, I want to say, I was, like, bottom third in the tournament in steals. I was, like, in dire straits. But I was like the one category that I was behind in. So the entire rest of the season, I'm just adding guys and trying to, you know, scout the minors, your Bubba Thompson's, those kind of guys, just picking them up for dollars, throwing them in there. And the next thing you know, you know, by the end of the season, I stashed uh, O'Neill Cruz also in that league. But uh, I was, you know, 85, 90 percentile in the steals. So it's just one of those things where you kind of keep at uh, wherever you're deficient in those standings, just keep plugging away at that and, you know, eventually you should hit your targets. Can you give, do you remember the uh, four power hitters you picked up this week? Just so people can kind of like get an idea of like the caliber guy you're talking about. So I picked up Jock Peterson. I picked yep. up uh, who unfortunately was facing two lefties early in the week. So I had to sit him. Uh, picked up Rooker off Oakland. Who's been mashing it. I think he's got 12 or 13 homers already. And then the minors, he showed a lot of pop, too. I mean, he's probably not going to give you much in the average department, but he's a guy that I think could hit you, you know, 25, 30 homers. Gary Sanchez I picked up as well. He went uh, – I think the runner-up was like $1, so nobody really wanted him. Um, and I think one more power bat. Give me a second. Let's say uh, Sanchez. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Another one. Sorry for delay here. Yeah, this is this is this is uh this is great. <laughs> I picked up Jock. Um, Rucker. Ah, and Danny Jansen, who I who I was stashing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, two catchers exactly. Actually, uh, I needed a power, but I actually dropped Cal Raleigh, who hit a homer last night, which was fun to see, but. Um, you know, he's been doing nothing for just, I don't know, the last month, like literally nothing. Uh, he had those two monster games where he hit like two homers, I think. Right. And he had like four or five RBIs. And that was like his whole production, like the last month. So I basically dropped him for the same guy and, and Gary Sanchez, but we'll see. You know, I have Eloy on that team. Like I said, Jock, uh, Acuna's on that team. So, you know, there's power, there's power there. Um, Gorman, he's also been pretty lousy of late, but you know, that's 
another power bat you could stick in there. So, we'll so see. yeah. When you're making the decision to go from a Cal rally to a Gary Sanchez, are you like, what type of data are you looking at to sort of, or are you just looking at like this guy's hot and this guy's not, and I don't love Raleigh, so I'm going to make the swap. Like how, how granular are you getting in terms of making that decision of swapping those two out? You just nailed it. That's, that's that was my thought process there. It's like, okay, he's playing, you know, he's DHing Sanchez too. I mean, he's playing pretty much every day, right? So I'm just going to ride that out and see how long that goes. Obviously the, the floor is terribly low on Sanchez, but Cal Raleigh can hit you 200 also. I mean, they're pretty much the same player in my eyes. So we'll see, you know, I was just going to ride the heater, you know, Sanchez, though, you know, he has power. We all know he has power. It's everything else that he, he lacks in, but uh, if he's DHing and playing in the middle of that lineup, I mean, he should be starting in every league right now. I mean, until he, you know, goes 0 for 30, which is probably coming at some point, but just play that heater. What would be like? I've I don't think I've ever. Do you do you recall like a time where you've churned like say double digit catchers in a season on a team like that? No, I, I really haven't. I've actually had pretty good success in catcher, and that's um. Even last year, I had uh, I had Murphy and I think Darno actually last year, which is funny uh, this year, but. Um, yeah, I've been pretty fortunate. I think, uh, I don't, I'm not one of these guys that waits until like the end of draft to pick up two lousy Jacob Stallings mm-hmm. types. Cause mm-hmm. they just hurt you. I've never been, I never really understood that in, in these drafts where, you know, maybe you go in, in the middle round, you get like a Kiebert Ruiz or something who's, you know, hit you 250, 260, right. He's not going to kill you. Maybe give you 15 homers. Like I'm, I, I, to me, that's worth it versus, a complete zero or a negative at the catcher position. So, um, yeah, for those, uh, I loved uh, Sal Perez, his price this year. I uh, got him in a few nice spots. Jonah Heim, I hit on on two months. Those two mains are doing really well. Nice. He's on both of those. So, you know, it does, it takes some, uh, you know, luck hitting on some of these guys in the right spots for sure. And a catcher, if you hit on a late catcher, I mean, that's a huge boon to your team and, and especially for the overall. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Jonah Heim, that makes sense. Um, it's been a beast. Jonah Heim. You, so you, uh, you had the, you have the Heim Semyon stack on at least one of those teams, right? Yeah. It's funny. You brought up Semyon. He's on. So I was looking at that the other day, every one of my big teams, like I have like three or four, like real doing well, real, but he's on every single one of the team. So I'm riding with with Marcus uh, and Jonah for sure. Um, they're big parts of my team this year, and Semyon. I mean, he's just been amazing. I, I've got I've got so much Semyon regret because I I wanted him like he was he wasn't a fade or anything, right? And I just didn't get him. Uh, he was going so I, cheap. Oh, like he was I going. I got him in a fourth in a main, like the middle fourth round. I, I mean, like this is. Crazy. I think like I think like every player I wanted was going in the fourth round this year. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I, there, I just wanted like I didn't want anyone who was going in the third, and I wanted everyone who was going in the fourth. And uh, at least if I'm remembering that right, or maybe it was stretched even to like the back half of the second, I wasn't that in on anyone. I couldn't um, understand his 
his discount though. I, I was trying to think through it. I, I mean, he's done it now for a few years. So I, I don't know what owners were so leery of with him. I mean, he's proven commodity at that point and you're getting a five category producer in round four in the sixties and some of these. So yeah, it's wild. Where do you, where do you look for upside in a draft? Like, are you kind of taking your shots in the back half of the draft, knowing that you're going to be dropping a bunch of those guys anyways? Do you, do you go after like a big upside guy that might be going in the third or fourth round or is it just kind of player dependent? So I, I'd say it's more like the middle rounds. I try looking, um, you know, I'm a big uh, proponent of like the, like the high pedigree guys that fail early. Like Kalanick was a guy I'm, a, you know, I've been on him for every year, but uh, you know, those guys with high pedigrees that, you know, you know, get off to rough starts their careers, kind of owners just kind of give up on them. And I'm like, you know, these guys have the skills. They just haven't tapped into them yet. So, you know, I was always clicking Kalnick's name in drafts this year. He's on both of those big main, big mains as well. But yeah, you know, any guys that have shown, you know, production also, even if they're, you know, veterans and they had a shaky year and they're, they're discounted pretty heavily in these drafts. Those are guys I'm always targeting and, um, you know, just trying to find that value where it drops, but yeah, no, I like to hit those, those high upside guys, you know, in the, in the middle, maybe into the teen rounds of drafts, Josh Jones, another guy where, you know, he was pretty, uh, you know, he dropped pretty, pretty, uh, heavily in, in most of these drafts, right. He had the, the rough start last year, another high pedigree guy. I'm like, you bet on these guys in year two, it's usually a good bet in fantasy. And we're seeing that play out this year. Yeah, I was talking about Josh Young on the radio earlier today. Like, I, I think I remember like him and Tristan Casas were going kind of right next to each other, mm. and I was just sort of talking about just how vastly different. Like, if you choose Dore versus choosing right, Dore, either. right? Yeah, um, no, there's definitely a lot of swing and miss in those guys. But if you hit, if you hit, right? I mean, those are big values for sure. Do you look at? Um, you know, do you look at the back half of your roster, maybe the back 10 rounds as picks where you need to get a contributor or just picks where you're just trying to hit on something or, or just kind of a mix? Uh, that's, I would probably say contributors too. Like I, I'm trying to kind of lengthen my staff in those later rounds and where most people, I, you know, they're taking the higher upside arms. I'd rather take like, you know, the stable arms there that, you know, like Stroman is the one guy I have a lot of. Like, nobody wants to market Stroman. I mean, he, the odds are he's going to pitch you good ratios, right? He's The Ks are, are lacking there. But, I mean, that's a guy that's going to give you 180-plus innings at solid ratios. You know, he's not going to strike out a lot of guys. But, you know, that's why you take those early strikeout artists, right? you got to balance out your team somehow. So, um, I'm taking those kind of those boring, you know, innings eaters late. And just to kind of stabilize the staff some. And if they hit, you know, like Stroman's having a crazy year right now. So if you end up hitting on those boring older vets, you know, you're going to have a big year. I, I also think people just sort of like I hate I hate the way people talk about upside um, because <laughs> like Marcus Stroman had upside, obviously, based on what he's doing. Right. Like, 
Eduardo Rodriguez before he got hurt was killing it. Um, like Nestor Cortez last year with like Miles Mikolas, Merrill Kelly, guys like that. Like it's the case. everyone, yeah. everyone just talks about these guys like they're just well. There's no upside there, but there, the there is. There's no yeah. If they don't strike out 230 guys, it's like they don't have any upside, right? But it's like ratios. People, you know, they they don't you know put enough stock into ratios, and you know that's you know. Two uh, two fifths or two or half of the the ratios for starters at least. So uh, you got to stabilize those ratios, right? It's not just all, all about the strikeouts, and we're seeing that with Strider. I mean, right now it's like <laughs> I'm looking at I, I, he's not my OC too. Like I want him to do well. It's funny, but it's just that you know he's he's giving you the strikeouts, but he's not giving you anything else. So it's like where are we supposed to value him right now? And I'm seeing people saying number one pitcher rest of the season. Why? He's got 100 innings almost, right, after this start. How many innings is he, is he going? He, get, he threw 130 last year. Um, no, sorry, he's around 80 innings, I want to say, after this start. So how many more innings? 100 total? You know, 180 max? Like, is he going to go more than that? I don't think so. Yeah, I mentioned him to you. Uh, like, uh, I saw you tweet about him, and he obviously got kind of lit up today. Oh, man. Uh think the era now is over four uh, north of four mm-hmm. yes um so who like i think my easy answer would just be that if we were doing a draft today uh i would just not be one of the first five or six mm-hmm. people to take a starting pitcher but like if you had to be the person that said this is my sp1 the rest of the way who are who are your candidates? Who would you sort of settle on there? Yeah, I'm still going Cole. Uh, you know, he's reliable. He's going to give you those innings. The guy is as durable as any pitcher out there. He's going to give you 210, you know, innings, maybe more. Who knows? He never gets hurt. Knock on wood. But um, he might not. Get, he's not going to give you the Ks that Strider's going to give you. Um, he's probably not going to give you the ratios that that McClanahan is going to give you. But He's going to give you enough, right, where you're throwing him out there, and he's out there every fifth day. And end of the year, he's probably going to have close to 20 wins, 200-plus Ks. And it's like, you know, there's value there, you know. So, to me, I'm still going Cole rest of the season. I'd probably go McClanahan, too. Um, and then three kind of gets tricky there, I feel like. Gossman's up there. I mean, he's been – you know, he's a little shaky last start, but overall he's been amazing. Um, yeah, but definitely I, I think Cole McClanahan would probably to probably be, be two. Um, and at this I point, might, I might go with Luis Castillo. Castillo, um, yeah. That's, I wouldn't argue. I mean, he's been amazing. And this is a guy that was going, you know, not long ago. He was going in the second round in these main events, right? We forget about, you know, how good he was those years in Cincinnati. So – yeah, I would not fight you on that either. Yeah, Seattle, Seattle Castillo has been uh, very, very good. Amazing. And it's just – I would almost be – you know, I think Cole's a good answer too. Um, it's almost like you're just trying to not screw up with that pick. Right. And that's why I like Cole because, yeah. you, know, you know, he's just safe. He's, he's The definition is safe. And in this pitching climate right now, it's like – you got to like close your eyes every time a starter goes out. This is, I don't know if you can remember like a worse pitching year, like as a whole than we're seeing this year. I mean, 
it's just like landmine after landmine. And it's just, you just got to pray, close your eyes and pray. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of my good teams have, have really good pitching, just kind of, you know, getting lucky and just having some decent calls on guys like Tyler Wells and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I, it's, uh, it's scary, especially when you have a like. For instance, if you have Max Scherzer, mm. um, next week he's got a two-step in Houston and then in oh, nice. uh, Boston, I believe. Um, you know that one. You just what well, you're not going to bench Max Scherzer, but yeah, no. you're also like you're just hoping to kind of emerge from there with you know maybe a win and ten Ks, and hopefully just doesn't completely destroy your ratio. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, he's been a strange case. I mean, he looks, I mean, at times he looks dominant, and then like at times he looks like he's completely washed. So, I don't know what's going on there with Max. I don't think he's nearly as bad as we've seen right really, lately, but yeah, the, the, the days of ace Max, like top five starter, I think are, are long past. Like, um, what do you, what do you do with, uh, like, how do you use projections both in your prep and during the season? Like what, what's your sort of approach to how they sort of affect who you're going to draft and then who you're going to start each week? So we've had a discussion on this on Twitter actually recently. <laughs> Andrew's, Andrew's dog is running wild. She's crazy. Relax. Wow. Now we got a we got a three three person pot. Yeah, yeah. She's a little high. She's still a puppy. Um so projections, we were talking about this on Twitter. Yeah, I use them a lot, you know, during draft season, right? Prepping for drafts and whatnot, and just building my teams. Like they're super important, I think. Um, and I put a lot of research into them and even while drafting, I'm using them to to build my teams and whatnot. But during the course of the season, I don't use them that often. And I feel like, I don't know, I feel like a lot of them are off kind of on the rest of the season outlooks. And it's a lot of, I don't know exactly the, the algorithms these all use and playing time. Like I know the playing time, they manually enter those. We've established that. But, yeah, I, I've noticed a lot of discrepancies for what I perceive to be, a, you know, realistic projections for the rest of the season. So, once I see that and I'm like, why am I, you know, if I don't agree with it, why am I putting much stock in it? So I don't even look at them, to be honest. I really don't. Um, but preseason and during draft time, I'm 100% using them. And I think they're a great tool, actually. And they they could really help you build the team, the balance you need, the category juice. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's kind of how I, how I use projections. What's been your approach to fab this year i know i know you got uh taj bradley in some places um did, what other big buys did you make and you know what's your leftover cash looking like in your 12s and your 15s uh not much that's for every league i'm in i think i'm around a hundred dollars in fab if not less in pretty much every league right now uh yeah i i, I went big early taj you know, I went, you know, in the mains three, three 350-ish, around 35%, I want to say. Uh, Zach Nito w- was a big bid. Who I That was not a good one. Um, who else? 
Edward Julian, I, I spent a fair amount on, which is also not a good one. Uh, yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm one of these guys, I'm super aggressive on the wire. I'm not, especially early on, because I want to be able to maximize that player's stats, right? So if you get a guy in April, you know, he's so much more valuable than getting a guy, you know, end of July. Uh, so to me, they're worth more. I should be bidding more. So I'm, I'm always okay overpaying, sometimes crazy overpaying. And it's funny when you see these, everyone posting their Twitter screenshots of efficient Twitter bids. I'm like, I don't even care. I, if I want a guy, like I'm, I'm fine overbidding extremely for the guy. To me, you know, the amount of fab money at the end of the season that actually produces for your team is probably a pretty low percentage of your total fab. So if I see a difference maker on there, I'm fine overspending as long as I get the guy. Um, you know, efficiency is, is not part of the guild's repertoire, especially. <laughs> so you're never going to see me on those uh, high efficiency owner fab uh, bids for sure. <laughs> well, I'm glad I didn't post my... I'm glad I didn't post my uh, Royce Lewis bids from a, a couple of weeks ago because I was, I was like, I was probably on average like 150 more than the runner-up bid. On- well, that's not you got him then at least, right? Yeah, yeah. and uh, I don't know. Do you do you kind of look at Fab as um, it's kind of like an, an actual auction where you don't, you know, some people just lose an auction league at the auction table because of how they spend their money and you can't take fab with you. So like, at least in the case of the Royce Lewis bids, like I knew Ellie was coming. I didn't want to get Royce in all the leagues that I got him, but I also wanted to get at least one of those two with the big money I had left because sitting here with like 600 bucks today wouldn't be all that, useful i would have kind of missed my window or at least right that was kind of how i was thinking of it yeah and that's the disadvantage of going after guys early right is like i, I was never in the the alley or or royce bid so but again you know it's you know it's what middle of june and now you're starting to reap the benefits whereas if you hit on a guy in april you know i got two and a half months of production up to this point so i mean there's pros and cons of spending early you know if you miss the, miss out on the guy early, you might suffer. You might be playing catch up in your league. But if you overspend and the guy, you know, on Zach Nito, or, who's been, you know, very pedestrian, I mean, that's that's money that was not well spent. So it's kind of a, a catch twenty two in that respect. So if you you said you basically got like a hundred dollars, give or take, in in most of your leagues, uh, what what's like the do you do you kind of are you very meticulous of like I, I can't really spend much more than five or six bucks this week no matter who i want like are there still do you with a hundred dollars do you feel like you still have enough to throw out like a twenty dollar bid if there's someone that you you want that you think you can get for that number like what's the approach from from here to the rest of the season yeah no i'm in like dollar days right now uh the max i'll go is you know three or four dollars on a guy if i think someone's gonna put in one or two even but uh my rule of thumb really is like i want to have like around fifty dollars give or take for the end of the season whether it's end of august through september if you give me 50 bucks for that i'll manage um which is still a ways off so 
you know, I'm probably down to 50, 60 bucks until then. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, any of these guys, these high price pickups, you know, I'll be in zero of those, uh, uh, winning circles. But, uh, to me, I mean, I've built these teams, uh, especially the main, I say this often too, is, you know, you win your leagues, I feel like in the mains at the draft table, right? I mean, it's hard to improve your team in the main a ton throughout the league. You know, you'll get an Ellie, right. Who's a difference maker for sure. But for the most part, I mean, you know, 15 team leagues, I mean, you have to build a winner at the table, I feel like. And, uh, whereas the 12s, you could definitely have a little more leeway there. And, you know, you can miss a lot more in the 12s, especially at the draft. Um, and you can improve a lot easier throughout the season. But the main event, I mean, if you don't draft a winner at the table, you're likely going to not cash at the end of the year. That's just been my take or experience there. Yeah, I think I think that makes sense. Um, you at least need sort of the the foundation right. of your team right. – like the, the key pieces on the hitting and pitching side. And then you'll, you know, your, your good ads in season, they could push you to like another level, but. Um, like yeah. the, not to cut you off the main that we're in together in Vegas. That was my favorite main by far of all, of all three of them. And my draft, I mean, if you look at it, it's like, this is exactly, this kind of illustrates the point I, I was just talking about. Or I'm, I'm, I'm eighth overall, whatever, it's middle of the pack. Uh, but I started, let me see, that's where I went cold to Grom. I took, uh, jazz as well in that league. O'Neill Cruz. Yeah, I, mean, I remember, I remember you, I remember you got the Grom. That was like an all risk team. Yeah. It's all written. Yeah. And exactly. This is what happened when you draft a team like that. But, uh, you know, Buxton, I got, um, jazz, Lodolo's in there, O'Neill Cruz. Like I said, I mean, the first, I had like six of my top eight picks are either, you know, they're hurt or, you know, they're done for the season. Uh, so it's like if you draft that in a main event, I mean, you know, I'm just trying to cash, get a third. And you guys, I see you guys sending third there. I mean, I'm just eyeing. See, this is a league where I'm not even looking at the overall. And like it's around the, over, the overall's gone. Overall's gone. I'm 400th place. You know, it's middle of June. Uh, middle of the league. I'm just trying to cash here. So I'm not even, I'm just trying to, to maximize my output at bats, pitching and whatnot and, and see if I could cash. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of illustrates that point is where, you know, if you draft a team like this and you're going to suffer the consequences on, on the, on the downside for sure. Do you approach uh fab any differently, like in terms of dollars? Like, so when you were doing your Taj Bradley bids, in the 12s versus the the main how different are you approaching the the dollar figure for for a taj bradley bid or is it just kind of the same no i think they're different actually yeah i think the mains you are more aggressive with the higher end pickups you know where taj bradley was probably going in some ocs for like less than 100 bucks um where in the mains he was right around 300 give or take in every main i'm sure so um, yeah, it's just, uh, overall the OCs are, are less aggressive on the wire. You got you do have to manage your, your, your budgets a, a little differently in both formats. And that's why I'm okay in OCs with the, with a lower bankrolls. Like I can get guys that I need for a dollar or two versus mm -hmm. the main, you got the guys you need probably around 15, $16 or, 
low 20s a lot of weeks. So that's, uh, that's another thing. It's just, it's just easier to maneuver the waiver wire in, in the online championship. All right. So now we're going to talk a bit more about kind of specific players. And I want to kind of look ahead to sort of where they, how they might be valued heading into next year. Um, what I know you didn't, you didn't have the scratch to get Ellie anywhere, but. Uh, well, I did get, I have them. So it's funny. I, uh, I haven't been kind of a big spot actually. So we, it's the contract league. Did, did, were you familiar with that? In Vegas? I've never done, I've never done that. Really cool. It was the first time I've done it. I was invited. It was um, essentially where you pay like actual cash for the top 100 players, according to like their contracts. Um, but it's only for like the top hundred that have like the money assigned to them. Right. Okay. So a guy like Verlander was like $430 or whatever. So he, he fell to like the sixth or seventh round or something because people don't want to drop, you know, 500 bucks on a pitcher, real money. So it kind of creates that unique kind of variable where, uh, I took like jazz for $60 in the first round guys like that. And Julio was like the number one pick cause He's getting paid like nothing this year. So it was very cheap, you know, cash wise. So uh, anyway, after those top 100 you pay for, then it goes into like a regular snake draft or whatnot. And I ended up taking Ellie in like round 32, 33, something like that. But there's no fab. So you hold on. to It's almost like a DC. And then we have one supplemental draft, which is actually after the all-star break. So there's no fab moves for the entire time. Um, so no pickups. And then we have another 10 round draft, I believe. So a lot of times you're playing guys, you know, that your whole roster is hurt like a DC would be, but you can't make any moves. So, uh, it's, it's an interesting dynamic for sure. So I was playing Gary Sanchez as my DH for like three weeks <laughs> because, you know, I didn't have any act- healthy active bats on my bench. So it, it's pretty cool. So you got Ellie there. Uh, what have you seen from him? And, uh, if you want to, if you had like a crystal ball here, what are we talking first rounder next year? Does he go through any stretch of struggles that would move him out of that range? Boy, first round. I mean, it's possible, man. I know, I know O'Neill Cruz is a lot is people are comping him too. I don't know what your thoughts are there versus two players, but, you know, you do see a lot of similarities, just the, the crazy athleticism, the speed, the power. It's like, I don't know, is the, the batter and average floor uh, kind of scary with him? Uh, what are your thoughts as far as like his batting average? Yeah, uh, I mean, I think he's kind of a more polished sort of actualized version of Cruz. Yeah. Uh, like, I think he just he's got more game power. They might have like similar raw power. Um, Ellie's just better at getting to it consistently in games and uh, might be even more aggressive on the bases. Um, I haven't double checked that to, to be the yeah, case. He's stealing like a bag every game. It seems to already. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean like, you know, he's got a 39% strikeout rate. Uh, that's, that's not that surprising, at least like in his first week or whatever. But, mm. um, you know, I mean, there's a reason he wasn't like coming into the year. He wasn't even the third ranked prospect behind Corbin Carroll or Gunnar Henderson by 
met by pretty much anyone. I, maybe somebody had him ranked third, but like there was enough swing and miss concerns there. Like people that rank prospects like knew about the power and the speed, obviously. Um, but there were enough concerns about the hit tool where he was more just kind of a middle of the top 10 type of prospect coming into the year. Yeah. And that would be why I would, I mean, I would guess, I don't know if you would see him in the first round next year, just because of that, that one category is like, but I mean, you mentioned Carol. I mean, and I think we're going to, we're going to talk to like the draft next to top three or top of the draft next year. I mean, I, I think he's number two. It's going to be, I mean, him and Otani are probably, I think it's Acuna obviously. And then there's a little drop off, but Corbin Carroll, I mean, I was looking at his numbers yesterday. He's not that far off of where Acuna is right now. You know, he's about 10 steals less, but everything else is pretty much where Acuna is right now. Yeah. So my, my question, my assignment I gave you is like, we assume it's Acuna, um, and then I guess just to wrap things up on, on Ellie, like I kind of thrown out first round as just to, just to get your reaction to that. But, uh, I would say a, still like a, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he was going anywhere from like third or fourth round to yeah. middle of the first round. Oh yeah, absolutely. And we'll just, we'll see where things go. I mean, it, plus the ballpark. I mean, that's, yeah. that's crazy. I mean, O'Neill Cruz had a, had a big ceiling. I mean, this kid, if he's playing in that ballpark half his games, She's yeah. I, I don't think he makes it out of like a second round of, of a main next year, if he you know. And I think that would that would benefit Cruz actually more. Like I think Ellie De La Cruz just hits like so many of his are just absolute no doubters. Whereas yeah. like O'Neill Cruz, I think hits enough kind of like opposite field line drives that he could really take advantage of that that uh, better ballpark there. Um, but yeah, so we got Acuna, like the legend. Um, we, Todd and I, of course, got him third overall in that league. Oh man, yeah. Um, so crazy. we, I mean, we third third place in that league should be our. Who went? Uh, who went top two? It was it Trey that went ahead. Of... It was uh, Trey and Julio. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Talk about a uh, a gift at three. My God. Hey, I'll take a gift at three. Um, yeah. But you know he'll he'll be number one unless yeah. he gets injured again. But uh, yeah, so like you think in Corbin Carroll versus Otani would be kind of how you handicap it for. Yeah, I think you kind of splitting hairs with those two. But yeah, I think Carroll. I mean, she's he's he's been incredible this year. So yeah, I think he's he's going to be the Julio of next year. Yeah, for sure. Easy, easy top five pick in my eyes. And, you know, we see with Judge, this is the, the Judge issue, which I had concerns with going into the year. And even when I took him to Maine, I was a little bit concerned. It's just, you know, this guy does get hurt, right? Last year he was an Iron Man. He was playing, you know, for that big money. Not to say that he's not really hurt, but I think he probably fought through a lot of things last year that he wouldn't ordinarily fight through if he wasn't, you know, in this big contract year. So, but nonetheless, we'll see how how much, how much time he misses. But you know, if it's considerable, you might not see him in the top five. Maybe the end of the first ish next year. Um, but I think the speed guys with power, Cor- Ka- uh, Carol, Otani, and Acuna at one; those are probably the top three if I handicap it today. And pitching, I don't know if you see a pitcher in the first round next year after what we're seeing, but who knows? 
yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It, it's tough to pre- predict the main event starting pitching landscape uh, until you kind of get there that weekend almost, you know? Like, but I feel like this year is just like, I mean, it's unlike years in the past where, you know, you had aces that were reliable that you could throw out there. It's just so few of them, I feel like, this year. And maybe that moves them up the boards, those few guys, and everybody waits on the rest. That, that could happen. But, I mean, I don't know. I think this is going to affect people for next year in terms of their, their attack. Were you uh, – did you get Otani anywhere this year? I don't think I had any Otani, to be honest. And, uh, it's not because I wasn't targeting him. It's just – I felt like I missed out on him a lot. And if I picked it, you know, on top of the draft, I was never looking at him. If I was around eight, nine, ten, somebody was taking him before me. So I wasn't fading the guy. Um, but yeah, he just didn't fall to me in any spots. And like I said, I had a Cunha one where I had him. If I had the one pick, I was going to Cunha. Um, Julio, I was taking ahead of him everywhere. So it's just. Yeah, if I could have that back, I would definitely have more Otani for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, when I when I got to Vegas this year, a bunch of smart people, um, DiPietro, Mark Winokur were like selling me on their Otani plan. Like, basically, they they were there just to execute their Otani plan, and I just wasn't really. I kind of they kind of like sold me on it, but it was like too late in the game for me to um, go there. But I also I had my JD Martinez plan, and uh, Otani would have messed that up. So um, it's the whole I mean, thing, with, yeah, with the pitching, and it's just you know everyone kind of goes right to that. You have the option to do both, but it's like if you're going to play him primarily as a batter, as a hitter right? You don't want to be taking him ahead of another hitter that you think is going to outproduce him in the hitting categories. Even though you know you have the luxury of pitching Otani, if you want Otani to hit her and then add in the, the utility utility only, you shouldn't be taking him ahead of a Julio Rodriguez if you, if you had Julio ahead of him offensively. So I, you know, I understood why he fell in drafts to, to a certain degree. So, um, but yeah, nobody saw, I mean, people were using him as a pitcher early just so they avoid the blowups so you had the best think, of both worlds i think what i underestimated i guess before sort of hearing them out was just the um because i always viewed him as like you know i'm, I'm going to use this guy as a hitter 90 95 of the time um but i think i i think maybe we overestimate um kind of knowing exactly what we have on our team leaving the draft and so you might it's it's nice to have someone who say we get to July, you can just be like, you know what, this team needs pitching right. or you have that right. You, know, you have like, that luxury. So you can like pivot and you can, it's almost like you're adding an elite player at the other side of the spectrum or whatever. Um, or if he so, plays like he has like a five game week, he's facing a couple really tough lefties, you know, you're kind of lacking in pitching. Okay, that's an easy choice. Just start him that week and pitch or so. I get it. I get the the allure of it, and, and making you know, I totally understand it. It's just you know, when you're forced to make that call over you know some guys you have in your mind higher on, on the offensive side of the ball, it's like it's a tough it's a tough pick sometimes. So, how about uh, I want to just get your take on him since he's a Met. 
um, Francisco Alvarez. Oof. Like, you know, I this is kind of this is kind of who I thought he'd be in like two years. Um, yeah. But he's just kind of doing it already. And I know he's only he's only hitting 236, but he's still a, a top five catcher by earned auction dollars. Uh, 12 home runs. That's, you know, that's right there with Sean Murphy and tied for second among catchers. Only Sal Perez has more. Uh, so we're not we're not talking about a, a Jonah Heim level legend at the position, but uh <laughs> what 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 do you what do you see you know as someone who who sees a lot of Alvarez like where does this kind of go the rest of the season um do they are they you know how good is the defense are they okay DHing him a bunch and sort of what what do you see him doing sort of as an encore next year well first off defensively he's he's pretty good I know there that was there was a lot of uh, skepticism around his defense early on but I mean he could play the position. You know, he's, I don't, I think he's actually like a plus defender. You know, he's getting better every day. Uh, offensively, I mean, you, you see it, man. This guy's got a quick bat. He's got that, that fire in him. I mean, he's a baller. I mean, this kid's going to be, you know, he's going to be a top three or four fantasy catcher for the next, like, he's going to be like, you know, name your slugging cat. I, I can't even put a comp on him because he's so unique. I feel like just, He's just electric, as bad as electric. You see it fly off the bat. I mean, he's going to hit high in the lineup, you know, moving forward. He's going to get you to runs. He's got the – obviously, he's got the power. Um, I think the average, too, will be there. You know, he's got upside there. Um, I mean, he's got it all. I mean, this is why he, he was the number one overall prospect, right? I don't know if he was number one on your board, but, um, I mean, well, you I, see it. I mean, I didn't, I didn't rank him anywhere near there for yeah, just did. overall, like – um, I just, I didn't think he was like an Adley level, uh, zero weaknesses type of guy. And I, I thought he would just be kind of a 250 hitter with 30 Homer power. And like, to me, that's not a, that's not like a top 10 type of prospect for dynasty. Right. Uh, just cause it's, you know, it's not the hardest thing to find. Um, and there's so many good young catchers, but I think what I think I was too low on him just based on it clicking this quickly for him. Um, he and just that also like he, he has like a good approach up there. He knows, you know, he's comfortable sitting there. He doesn't look like he's, you know, a 21, 21 year old rookie up there. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, he looks the part, man. And, and just watch, he's fun to watch. So, yeah, I, I think he's a, he's going to be a fun player to watch for years, years to come. So is he the type of guy like I, I love talking about um, like sophomores and guys like heading into their third year where there's if a guy's coming off a good year, there's going to be an increased price tag. And a lot of people will just be like, well, that's it's no longer a value. I'm moving on to the next guy. Is this a case where you think the market on him is going to be fair or could he be overpriced because he's a Met? Uh, would it be impossible to overprice him? Uh, boy. I mean, I still wouldn't, you know, put him over like JTR, you know, next year, even Murphy, if he finishes the year strong, Adley, I mean, 
you're probably getting, you know, that the higher bit, you're not probably most likely getting the higher batting average. But I think, like you said, he could hit 30, 35 homers. He's going to score a ton of runs. He's going to DH plenty. Narvaez is going to catch. They're fine DHing Alvarez. So you're getting pretty much an everyday slugger at the catcher position playing in what should be a good lineup most, uh, most years, but yeah, I mean, he's probably going to be, I don't know, third, fourth, fifth catcher off the boards next year. I want to say probably we're like Sal Perez went this year around 60, 70, if I had a guess. I think um, him versus Sal is interesting. Yeah. That's, that's kind of who I, who I kind of, what kind of fantasy player I think he's going to become is, you know, hit 250, 260, 35 Homer upside, a hundred RBIs, that kind of thing. So I mean, he's going to give you huge counting stats and, and probably at an average, that's not going to hurt you. So that's for a catcher. That's worth a lot. What, what, where are you on uh, Brett Beatty uh, quickly? Like I, I, I liked, I liked Beatty a, a tiny bit more than um, Alvarez as, as a prospect. Uh, but obviously yeah. he hasn't jumped out quite as quickly as, as Alvarez has. Yeah, he's struggled for sure. I mean, he's had spurts where, you know, you definitely see, you see the glimpses of just, uh, you know, a guy that could hit you 300, you know, 25, 30 homers and just kind of spray it all around the field. And then at times he's looked kind of lost at the plate, especially of late. So I think there's some growing pains there and kind of, you know, not unlike other rookies, it might take some time with him, but maybe, you know, another year or two, I could see him kind of like a middle of the order bat and like a, a slugging third baseman with decent average, good power, you know, uh, definitely a guy that could help your fantasy teams, but I don't, I don't know if he's going to be, you know, a special player. I'll put it that way. I know I gave you a bunch of – I gave you like a list of guys we might talk about. Uh, we're running kind of low on time. Was there anyone who who really uh, jumped out that you wanted to kind of talk about at all? Um, I think we talked – let me see. There were a couple of guys uh, you mentioned here. Uh, we mentioned Kalanick, Adolis Garcia, who, you know, is Josh Lowe. Another guy – you know, see, a lot of these guys – well, especially Josh Lowe, he's the, the second year, you know, the post-hype sleeper, you know. It's like it's definitely something to pay attention to, I think, moving forward, is these high-pedigree guys that struggle early, you know, take that chance on them in drafts, right? If you're getting a good price on him, you know, because a lot of times these guys can hit in year two, year three, where, you know, they were pretty bad in their, their rookie years. So, um, yeah, I think we touched on most of the players, though. Yeah, I mean, like looking ahead to next year, maybe that's Anthony Volpe. Um, exactly. Tristan yeah. Casas. Um, I'm not. I'm not as bullish on Casas's. Like, I, I think I'd kind of like Volpe to just keep being bad the rest of the year and not give anyone like some sort of thing to point to in their offseason prep, like it's, other than just that this guy had pedigree. Uh, but that's a great example. Yeah. I mean, if he continues on, if he, you know, if he stays up here and, you know, he hits 208 at the end of the season, you know, that might be a good guy to target. And, you know, if he's a nice discount there. So, yeah, that, players like that, those are the guys I'm always eyeing and, and just trying to find that, that, that value for these uh, super talented guys. So, well, uh, this was a ton of fun, Andrew. Uh, it was cool chatting with you for an extended period of time i know it's in vegas i feel like i never get 
nearly enough time talking with with everyone so glad we got to do this man yeah james thanks so much man it was great meeting you in person and uh it was really cool putting all the faces to, to the twitter names and the twitter handles so uh i'll be out there again next year i don't know if you're heading out again but uh it was a lot of fun yeah definitely yeah. And you, we need you need more uh why, why don't you have more twitter followers uh i don't know i think uh the the older younger guilds i was a little more um combative with people and you, you like to mix it up yeah i like to mix it up now it's more of the chill guilds and <laughs> so but uh yeah i don't uh i don't know people i, I honestly i never thought i would have this many followers to, to be honest with you <laughs> all the all the overall success has mellowed you out i guess and that's the thing too it's like if i do well again it's like you know it's I don't know how much longer I, you know, I can do this for. I mean, it's very time consuming, right? I have two kids, you know, family. It's like a lot of, a lot of stuff going on. Sundays in the summer, man, it drains you, right? Fantasy baseball is a grind, unlike no other. So, we'll see if I back it up with another overall. I might just ride off into the sunset and. Uh oh, retirement alert. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Though. I'll say that, you know, at the end and on, you know, March comes and I'm back in the, the OCs drafting again. So, yeah, well, maybe don't do you up the number of OCs you're in this year. Yeah. And now you're complaining about it, which I told myself, yeah, I wouldn't do. And there was just one more. I'm like, you know what? Screw it. Let's do one more. And it was actually an Acuna. It was a, who I started out with Acuna, DeGrom, Strider. It was my first three there. I had, had high hopes about a, a month ago with that team, but not so much now. All right, buddy. Well, really appreciate it. And uh, thanks to everyone for tuning in. Thanks, Jim. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.